16, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may bear cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for giving me one more opportunity to come here and preach from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, uh, you would want to keep it open to Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. We're going to uh, unpack this parable um, verse by verse. Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, and the title of the sermon is The Great Separation. The Great Separation. Sydney Harbour Bridge was constructed in the 1920s across Sydney Harbour to connect Sydney CBD and North Shore. You know, it connects two masses of land which are separated by water. Sydney Harbour Bridge makes travel easy and quick, but it is only a modern version of a technique man has used for centuries. From early on, Man has learned to build bridges in order to overcome separation for the purpose of travel. Not only that, man has learned to build bridges in all the other areas of their life, including family, friendship, 
community, politics, etc. The greatest separation that still scares man's existence and destiny is the separation between holy God and sinful man. This is the greatest separation which no man can bridge except Jesus Christ. But there is one more separation of the same kind and degree which even Jesus doesn't want to bridge. This is a separation that exists between heaven and hell. The passage we have read today speaks about that separation. Luke tells us that Jesus is speaking this parable to the Pharisees who were lovers of money. You see, the Pharisees had a habit of justifying themselves, of putting themselves as the righteous people in the eyes of men. The Pharisees took pride in their external religious activities. They expected that God should accept them because of their religious devotion. But Jesus comes along and Jesus rebukes them by saying that God hates their external religious activities. And God hates their self-righteousness. And God hates their pride and their love of money. So remember, this is the audience to which Jesus is speaking the parable. Speaking the parable to the Pharisees who thought they were righteous, who prided in their external religious activities, and who prided in all the things that they did, and they were lovers of money. Now, in this parable, there are three characters. Very easy to find out. The rich man, and Lazarus, and Abraham. Let's begin exploring these characters, and then we will also explore the conversation that these characters have. We'll look at the portraits of two men who are portrayed in this parable. The rich man. The rich man is nameless. Jesus intentionally doesn't name him because the place where he's heading is filled with nameless people who have no worth and dignity. Now, this man was wealthy and rich. But this itself is not bad. Why? Because the Bible says that there were some rich people, some wealthy people who were godly, who loved God. People like Abraham, David, Joseph in the Old Testament. But this man was different. He was greedy. He had a heart which craved satisfaction and fulfillment in rich lifestyle. He was money-minded and materialistic. The Bible says he dressed habitually in purple like a king. He wore linen underwear imported from Egypt. His greed was manifested at his dining table as well. Eating finest foods was not the problem. His problem was gluttony. Indeed, he was living his best life 
here and now. Ethnically, he was a Jew. How do we know that? We know that because uh, he calls Abraham his father. And also, he comes from a family which possessed the Moses and the prophets, which is just another way of saying that they had access to the Old Testament. Now, in this parable, the rich man's luxurious lifestyle is contrasted with Lazarus's miserable life. You see, Jesus gives this poor man a name. His name is Lazarus. Because he's heading to a place where people will have names. They will have worth. They will have dignity. But for now here on earth, his life is filled with suffering and misery. The Bible says he was extremely poor. He was a beggar. He was so desperately hungry that he longed for leftover crumbs from the rich man's table. On top of that, he was disabled. He couldn't walk. He was dependent on others for his mobility. But this is not the end of his suffering. The Bible says that he was sick. His body was filled with painful sores. And the only comfort he ever received came from a pack of dogs that satisfied their own hunger by licking his bloody open sores. Interestingly, his name Lazarus means God has helped. People who saw him must have wondered if he had got the right name. Perhaps Lazarus himself must have thought if God would ever help him to end his suffering. But we do know that he had learned to trust the promises of God even in the midst of his acute suffering. He was a true Old Testament believer who trusted the promises of God despite of his severe suffering. On the other hand, the rich man also was a Jew. But in his theology, as well as in his practice, he was a pagan, a non-Jew, a non-believer. He clearly did not obey the Old Testament scriptures because the Old Testament scriptures commanded God's people to take care of the poor and the needy. You see, every time he went in or out of his house, he saw this poor man Lazarus and was confronted with his need for care. And yet he refused to show any compassion on him. This kind of lifestyle was only a manifestation of his unbelieving heart, an ungodly heart. And the Bible says that at God's appointed time, both men died. You see, death is a good equalizer. Whether rich or poor, everyone dies. And that changed everything. Because they ended up on two different sides of eternity. 
as wealthy as he was, the rich man was just as likely to die as Lazarus was. Because whether we are rich or poor, none of us can escape the gruesome reality of death. The Bible says, rich man received a proper burial. Whereas nothing is mentioned about Lazarus's funeral or burial. But Lazarus, the Bible says, was carried to Abraham's bosom in heaven. Then his name, Lazarus, God has helped, took its real meaning. When there was no one else to help him, Lazarus was helped by the Almighty God. Who rescued him from all his troubles and delivered him from his suffering and healed every wound of his broken body. On the other hand, the rich man ends up in hell. Note here that the rich man is fully aware of his suffering. He is suffering and he is aware of his suffering. That means he is not in coma, right? He is not out of his mind. His mind is still working. He can feel the suffering. He was burning in agony and desperate for a little water to cool his tongue. Now we must note here that at this moment the rich man doesn't have a body. Jesus is giving us a physical description of a spiritual torment. And this is a parable. That means Jesus made up the story to convey a truth, right? Now thus far in the story, none of the characters speak. It's the Jesus who is speaking the parable. And now we get the window in which in this parable, even the characters are speaking, right? Right? Uh, we're told by Jesus that rich man and Abraham have a brief conversation. Out of his agony, the rich man speaks twice. And he pleads Abraham for two things. And we'll see in the Bible that Abraham responds twice. Verse 23. In verse 23, the rich man could look across the great separation... Between his torment and Abraham's bliss. And he knows who Abraham is. And he also calls Abraham his father. Just as the Pharisees did. Right? Remember the audience? Jesus speaking the parable to the Pharisees. And also for disciples to us as well. Yet he never followed Abraham's example. The rich man never followed Abraham's example in using his wealth for the glory of God. Unlike Abraham, the rich man did not plan for eternity. He also knows who Lazarus is, and that's why he calls his name. You see, while he was alive on earth, the rich man was self-sufficient. He did not need anything from anyone, but now the rich man begs for just a drop of water to cool his tongue because he's suffering terrible heat, terrible in, in, in fire. And it's interesting to note here that the rich man still thinks that Lazarus is inferior to him. Because he still thinks that Lazarus should serve him. 
What does it tell us about hell? It tells us that hell is not a place where people change from bad to good. And it also tells us that it's not, hell is not a place where, you know, people improve and they, you know, are released having finished their punishment. No. Hell is a place where evil person remains in his wickedness and evil and ungodliness forever. And that's true of this rich man also. You see, is the rich man asking for too much? He's just asking for one drop of water. And if we think logically, his plea is reasonable, isn't it? And yet, his request was firmly denied. Why? Because God has no mercy for people who die in their unbelief. This is how Abraham explained why the rich man's plea was rejected. You see, Abraham gives two reasons. Reason number one. Abraham directs the rich man's attention to the common grace that the rich man experienced while he was living in this world. What is common grace? Common grace is all the blessings that all the people receive from God. It's the undeserved blessing that people receive, whether people are believers or unbelievers. For example, when the rain falls, it falls on believers as well as unbelievers, right? When uh, people drink water, it quenches their thirst, believers and unbelievers. So what Abraham says is that, look, when you were living in, this, in, in the world, you had all the common grace. You enjoyed your life to the best. Remember the food that you ate and the clothes that you wore? The rich man enjoyed his best life. And now, at this moment, nothing more is coming to him. Not even a single drop of water. On the other hand, Lazarus suffered miserably on earth. But now he is enjoying what God has promised to all his faithful children. That's the first reason. You enjoyed common grace, but look at Lazarus. He was suffering. The second reason Abraham gives is that God has set a great chasm, a great separation between heaven and hell. And God has done this so that no one could travel either from heaven to hell or hell to heaven. Unfortunately, there is no bridge between heaven and hell. Hell has no exit. It only has an entrance. Once you enter hell, you remain there. And there is no change of address for eternity. That's your address for eternity if you go to hell. Abraham says the rich man's request could not and would not be answered. He's still suffering. In his desperation and agony, rich man thinks of his family now. He knows his brothers are living the same ungodly life and they would eventually join him in hell. He has five brothers. So he makes a plea to Abraham. He begs Abraham to send Lazarus to his five brothers to warn them of coming God's judgment upon them. 
so that they don't end up in hell. You see, he knew their life. He knew what they were living their life, right? By making this plea for his brothers, the rich man shows his concern for his family, for his brothers. Now, he has not improved in health. He was still the same. He, he exhibited, he displayed some general concern and care for his family, for his brothers. That's how he was. That's how he is now, right? And think about logically as well. Doesn't it sound reasonable and good, right? This plea is good, isn't it? I mean, if the five brothers get some kind of warning, they would change, they would repent. Yet this plea was denied because it was unnecessary. That's the word, unnecessary, right? This is how Abraham responded to this plea. Abraham says, the rich man's brothers have the Moses and the prophets. The Moses and the prophets. So when you read the word, the Moses and the prophets, you basically know it's a, it's a different way of saying the Old Testament. Because Moses and the prophets cover the whole of the Old Testament. So what Abraham is saying is that your brothers already have the Old Testament. They already have the means of salvation. They already have God's word in their hands. They already have everything that they needed to avoid hell and to get to heaven. They already have that. And what they needed was not a personal testimony, but a humble attitude to listen and obey God's word. You see, they already had the Old Testament. They already must have heard from the Old Testament scriptures that God demands repentance from sins. And God demands faith in the promised Savior. They must have already known from the Old Testament that God required people, His people, to live a righteous life. It was all there in the Old Testament. All they needed to do was to believe it. And to practice it. But in reality, they did not believe God's word. The five brothers were just like this rich man. They all were the same. Abraham's response also tells us that the rich man was not suffering in hell unjustly. Because he too, like his brothers, had the means of salvation in the Old Testament. But he did not listen to it either. And it was manifested in his lifestyle, the way he lived. Now, the rich man is not happy. Mm. Grumpy. He's not happy with this kind of God's plan of salvation. I'm not happy. This is not good. He wants something spectacular. Something extraordinary. Something sensational. To be done to his brothers... So that they really listen. This book is boring. We need something sensational. If a dead rises, if a person rises from the dead, surely that is sensational. That is what he wants. Send Lazarus. Send Lazarus to my brothers. Because they will know he was dead. He's alive. We better listen to him. Send him. 
So he raises objections to Abraham's response. <laughs> There's enough argument, right? <laughs> Isn't it? He's not settled for, the, for Abraham's answer. He thinks that he has a plan, which is a better plan of salvation than God's plan of salvation. He thinks the word of God, the Bible, the Old Testament, is not enough without some kind of supernatural sign. So he suggests that if someone from the dead goes to his brothers, surely they will repent. He did not believe in the sufficiency of scripture while he was alive. And nothing has changed after that. His plea was again denied. I'm sorry. This is how Abraham responded to his suggestion. Abraham said to the rich man, If your brothers don't listen to God's word, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. If people are not willing to listen to the scriptures, then even the most spectacular miracle will not persuade them of the truth about God's salvation. A miraculous testimony is not what brings people to the saving faith. What produces saving faith in a person's heart is the truth of God's word. And Abraham says, if the rich man's brothers don't listen to the scriptures, then there is no hope remaining for them. They too will join the rich man in hell. Jesus conveyed his message clearly to his audience, which were just like the Pharisees. Now, this is a parable that I have explained to us. What does this parable teach us? But before we learn what this parable teaches us, it is good if we learn what this parable doesn't teach us so that we avoid any kind of false teaching or misunderstanding, right? What does this parable not teach us, okay? First, this parable does not teach us that being rich in itself is a sin or displeasing to God, okay? So if you're a rich person, doesn't mean that you're sinful, right? Secondly, this parable doesn't teach us that being poor in itself is pleasing to God. So if you're a poor person, doesn't mean that you somehow have some kind of favor with God, no, right? This parable doesn't teach us that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. That's also not right, okay? Now let's look at what this parable teaches us. Several things. First, if we don't believe what God has said in his word, the Bible, then we will never believe anything else God does either. And we will never truly believe in Jesus. What about us? Do we believe what God's word says? Or do we seek signs and miracles in order to believe? Second, God's word is sufficient enough to save one's soul from God's wrath in hell. The Bible, this plain ordinary scripture is enough, powerful enough to save someone who is heading to hell, to save him from hell. 
What about us? Do we believe that? When your pastor preaches from here God's word in the church, or when you hand over tracts, gospel tracts, you know, God's word is sufficiently powerful, powerful enough to save people from hell. Third, since we have access to God's word, we don't have any kind of excuse for not believing it. Each one has at least one copy of the Bible. So if you don't believe, it's not because you don't have scripture. It's because you have a hardened heart. It's because you don't read the Bible. Or, you, for example, you read the Bible but occasionally, but you don't believe it. Fourth, external religion or a personal miraculous testimony doesn't save anyone. Only those people who don't believe in the sufficiency of God's word look for miraculous signs in order to get saved. Our religious or Christian activities don't save us. It's the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what he did on the cross that saves us. Fifth, merely hearing God's word and being born in a particular family doesn't save anyone. Just as the rich man was not automatically saved because he was a Jew, you are not saved automatically because you're born in a Christian family. The faith of your parents will not save you. The faith of your neighbor will not save you. The faith of your pastor will not save you. You, you yourself have to believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Sixth, what we do with what we have is a clear picture of our spiritual condition. What about us? Does our lifestyle give a picture that we are citizens of heaven? Or does our lifestyle give a picture that we are worldly people? What do we do with our resources, our money, our skills, our talents? Are they used for God and his kingdom? Or they are just being wasted away? on the activities of this world, on the activities which have no eternal value. Think about that. Think about it deeply. Seventh, whatever amount of wealth we have, it will neither save us from death, nor it will save us from hell. What about us? Do we rely upon our bank balance, our, our Upon our superannuation or the welfare of the government, they will never save us from the impending death. Death will surely come. But the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's what he did on the cross, saves us from the second death and eternal condemnation. Eighth, if we are saved and forgiven, and if we are suffering in this world, there will be an end to our suffering. God has prepared a place of comfort and joy for his children. Are you suffering? Are you grieving? If you are a believer, then there is a good news. 
your sufferings will end just as the sufferings of Lazarus ended. Have patience and trust in God. My dear friend, if you are an unbeliever, let me tell you that Jesus Christ is the only bridge from hell to heaven. It is only by faith in Jesus that you can ever find forgiveness of sins and hope for eternal life. Jesus died on the cross so that he can provide forgiveness for sins, for your sins if you believe in him. And my dear friend, don't think that your religion will save you. Don't think that because you're, sa- you're born in a Christian family, that will save you. Don't, because, don't think that because you know so much Bible, that will save you. Don't say in your heart, don't say this, don't say in your heart, I will not believe in Jesus until I see a powerful miracle. Don't think that you can live your life as you want and there is no final judgment coming. Put your faith in Jesus now. While you still have time, you're still breathing, or else very soon you will find yourself in a place where no one can come and save you at all. No one will be allowed to come there and preach you the gospel. Jesus Christ is the only bridge that can help you reach the other shore safely. And the day to travel on that bridge is today. Travel on Jesus. Choose Christ and be saved. And my, this is my prayer. That we will choose Christ. And we will choose life. Because there's only one person who gives life. And it's Jesus. My dear friends. Uh, let us learn from this parable. And let us, let it, let us live like godly people. And let us give uh, that picture even to other people, you know, to, to each other. That our home is not here, but in heaven. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, we want to thank you for this uh, time that you have given to us. We thank you that uh, you have spoken to us from your word. Dear God, we pray that you, uh, we pray that the word that, is, that has fallen in our ears may find its way into heart and into brain. And Lord, by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, uh, it will work in our bodies, in our lives. Uh, And Lord, we pray that you change the areas uh, where we need to work, where we need to change. And Lord, uh, fix the rough edges. uh, Give us passion for your kingdom, for your gospel, Lord. And Lord, if someone is an unbeliever, Lord, may this message be used, the truth of your word be used, Lord, to regenerate that dead person, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray.